Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 133. How wonderful, how beautiful, when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God's command, the blessing, ordains eternal life. Thank you, Allison. You can, you can have a seat. So before we get into the middle of it, we've got um, we to answer one question, and that is, why is Chaz wearing a sports coat today? Um, I'm pretty sure this is the second time in the history of our church that someone's worn a sports coat up here. And I want to say the other time it was also me. It was a Christmas a few years ago. I wore, you know, I was looking pretty dapper. But um, uh, anyways, the the only reason I even bring this up is because I know it's an elephant in the room. And I know you're wondering about it. Um, But also, it's kind of an illustration. I'm I'm kind of using it as a sermon illustration. Um, If you thought at all about why I'm wearing this, um, what it shows you is that you had an expectation. You, You assume a certain thing about our life together, about Christ City Church, something as ordinary, mundane, and seemingly, um, you know, useless as the clothes that we wear. Um, But it's not until those expectations are kind of turned on their head and disrupted somehow that you even realize you had them. And so even something as ordinary as the clothes that we wear on a Sunday morning um, become just this unspoken kind of thing we don't think about anymore. And so um, in that sense, it's, it's a sermon illustration. In another sense, and this is going to surprise you, the reason I'm wearing these clothes is actually not what you think. I actually probably spent less time thinking about what I was going to wear this morning than any of the rest of you did because this is what I wore yesterday. I just wore the same clothes that I was wearing yesterday. I was at a philosophy event at my school yesterday and it required kind of business casual and this is what I wore. And I came home and I thought, Amber, I like the way this looks. I think I'm just going to wear this when I preach tomorrow. And she said, that sounds great. And so here we are. And I've wasted four minutes of your life talking about the clothes that I wear. Um, But anyways, uh, I I do mean that sincerely about expectations, assumptions, things that we don't really necessarily think about, but that guide our life and what we do, not only on Sundays, but kind of in all of life. And we'll talk a lot kind of about that this morning. Um, so just to kind of catch us up, if you weren't here last week or you didn't, um, you know, catch it uh, online or anything like that, let me just kind of recap where we're at and what we're doing um, this month of February. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, Jeremy showed us these clip art slides. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to run these slides. Jeremy showed us these clip art slides, and he made a big deal about how um, bad they were, if you remember. And so this is kind of... Um, the paradigm that a lot of us come to church with, and this is the unspoken assumption that we don't even realize that we have. And so this, in this uh, diagram, church is kind of the center. The things the church does, gospel community, Sunday worship, service, etc., right? And the rest of our life kind of flows in and out and around that, right? And, and last week, Jeremy said, well, this may be, practically speaking, how many of us operate, but this isn't sh- how it should actually function. So if we go to the next slide, we tried to say, okay, what about if all of life is lived in and through and to and out of the life of Jesus? And so then these things that the church does 
and that we do in our regular life, or in our whole life, are the things that flow in and out and from Jesus. Um, and so that's just kind of where we are. If last Sunday you might have considered kind of a 30,000-foot view, kind of conceptual, giving you the lay of the land, talking about it at like this corporate level. And then this week we're going to kind of just zoom in just a little bit and we're going to pick up at this other level or layer of how we kind of organize ourselves as a church gospel community. Kind of as I mentioned earlier, we're just going to kind of zoom in just a little bit and talk about gospel community. Now, I feel like there were two things, there were, there were kind of two potential sermons for this morning, as I see it. On the one hand, I could have um, come this morning and attempted to convince you all that you need community. Like, I, that's the one sermon. The, assuming that you need to be persuaded that community is important, that community is kind of a non-negotiable when it comes to following Jesus and being his disciple. Um, you know, in that sermon, I would have pulled statistics and sociological data and talked about, you know, the loneliness of, you know, Western America, millennialism, all those kinds of things. But I don't think that's the sermon that most of us need. Um, I assume if you've spent any amount of time um, at Christ City Church, that that is, we can assume that you already buy into that, that you probably understand your need for community and how that um, is an integral, very important part of life as a Jesus follower. So there's this other sermon that I felt like we might preach this morning, which was assuming you're already convinced that community is important, assuming that you already see it as somehow fundamental to your Christian walk, to walk with other disciples of Jesus, um, this other sermon would be more of just an encouragement and a reminder and getting some clarity about what it is when we even say community is important. <clears throat> so, for the sake of the rest of this morning, I'm just going to assume that you're already convinced, you're already um, kind of on board with this notion that to be a disciple of Jesus means to live and walk and um, follow after Jesus with other people and alongside of them that you believe community is important. So today we'll take that second sermon, just encouragement, reminder, and getting some clarity. <clears throat> but before we actually get into the actual kind of me talking for a long time and y'all not, you all not talking for a while, um, I would like to begin with something that we used to do quite often at Christ City Church. COVID-19 kind of got us out of the, the practice of it. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been kind of slowly... Um, bringing this kind of practice back. But I thought what we could do, before we go any further, we would um, just answer some questions. Now, I thought about breaking us up into groups to do this and have you answer questions, and then we'd come back and share what we came up with. But given that Ryan, Tina, the looters, the Powells, the whole, uh, several of us are gone today, um, we're kind of a small crowd. So how about this? What if we just use this microphone and I ask you all and we share what it is that we think gospel community is? So we'll begin our time with that. What is gospel community? What is it for? What does it do? And full disclosure, I actually have, I don't know, five or six things that I'm hoping we're going to say. So as long as it takes for us to get those five or six things, we're going to do this. So don't be shy. Don't be timid. Um, if you have an answer that you think uh, is correct or good and valuable, then please share it with us, and I will come to you with a microphone. So, what is gospel community? What is it for? And what does it do? Any takers? 
doesn't have to be comprehensive. Just what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think, what is, what is gospel community? What is it for? Encouragement. Good. So like uh, walking together through each other in like thick and thin, hard times, good times, that kind of thing. Thank you. What else does a gospel community do? Intentional time? Explain what you mean by that. Yes, okay. So really close, intimate relationships. I don't guess we need this. Y'all are, talk- y'all are loud enough. Y'all are loud enough. Well, I was thinking about for the community, but I'll, or for the, for the uh, online, but I'll just repeat what y'all say. So. Okay, so we've got two of the six. Let's keep going. Spiritual growth, that's good. So how does that happen? How do you? Right, right. So teaching, learning, study, like Bible study, stuff like that. Yep, definitely. Mm. Right. Yep. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So essentially, uh, in some way, gospel community helps us know Christ better because through the different giftings, the different, the diversity within our gospel communities kind of shows us more about who Jesus is. Is that kind of a concise way to say it? Okay, we're, we're, we're trucking right along. Okay, I got a couple more that I'm looking for. Yeah. 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 Yep. No. So not only do we we learn more about ourselves, so in some ways, kind of um, going back to something Maria kind of said about this, like really closeness, not only with each other, but with um, with with ourselves, kind of knowing more our own self awareness. So we're we're almost there. We got a couple more that that I'm hoping that y'all would say, but. Um, what, what kinds of things does a missional community do? Um, what kind of things, um, what kind of practices is it engaged in? That kind of thing. Any, any other answers you might want to add to this list? Accountability. Accountability? Yeah. No. So hold each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. The, yep, missional community, that's the buzzword. That's what I was hoping someone would say. So we're, as a community, we're on mission, right? We're there to be a city on a hill, um, a, a light for, for Jesus in our city. Um, so there's, so I, think, I think we've got pretty much all of them. There may have been one more in there that um, we didn't quite get to. 
it, it's okay. We'll, we'll go through it here in just a minute. For the sake of time, I feel like we'll, we'll probably just go ahead and move on. Um, but what I, what I want to say is thank you for your participation, first of all. Thank you for answering those questions and um, taking a risk and speaking publicly, because I know that for some of you that is, you know, it's a lot. Um, but um, what if I told you um, that it is precisely those answers that we just shared with each other, that it's precisely those things, those ideas, those characteristics about gospel community, that it is exactly those things that have a liability to sabotage what we're after when we engage in gospel community with one another, that it's precisely our ideas and our ideals and our expectations, kind of like the clothes that I'm wearing, our expectations that we just lose sight of, they kind of slowly creep, right? Smack square into the center of what we think it means to be in a gospel community and obscure what we're really after, which is life in Jesus, maturity in Jesus together, right? Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Life Together, um, perhaps the single greatest book ever written on community, at least in the modern era, says this, and it's kind of a long quote, we won't put it all up on the screen necessarily, but I want to read this for you and, and see if this is familiar to you, if you've experienced this. It says, he who loves his dream of a community, he who loves his dream of a community, more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Bit of hyperbole there perhaps, but... The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, by himself. He enters that community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash, so he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will help create community. So obviously there's nothing wrong with having dreams and ideals and ideas and expectations about what gospel community is, how it works, the kinds of things we're, we're, we ought to do as a gospel community. Yet I think what uh, Bonhoeffer brings our attention to is how often do we take a single aspect of what it means to follow Christ together and then decide that it's the main thing, it's the only thing, it's the central thing, and then hold each other accountable to that dream and that ideal, what we've decided is most important. Hold them to, an, to account for an ideal and a dream that they've never really even agreed to, not consciously anyways, and then resent them for it, for not living up to it. I think Bonhoeffer gives a sober warning to us all. That thing, when we ask those questions, what is gospel community? What is it for? What does it do? Each of us have a certain kind of longing that just kind of springs up right in us, just off the top. And that's the thing we feel is most important. And for us, that is most important, I guess you could say. It's, to Dana's point, it's the character of Jesus that is coming out and expressing 
in us. But as Bonhoeffer says, sometimes um, we take those and in a very subtle way make them the most important thing, the center thing, and actually get in the way of the very thing that we're after, namely Jesus. So today we're going to hold up those ideals. We're going to look at those expectations of gospel community and see where perhaps we've missed the mark a bit. We just want to get clear about what gospel community is and what it is not, because gospel community is lived and um, it happens in this kind of weird middle place between our ideas about it, our ideals and our expectations, and the messy, actual, practical reality of trying to follow Jesus together in our time and in our place, in our life, in our whole life, a whole life in Christ. Gospel community is not the main thing. It is not the most important thing or the central thing. It is a part of a whole, a whole life lived out of and through and in Jesus. And so I think, I I know I mentioned this uh, at the beginning, but I think what we'll see um, is that sometimes our expectations, um, not only will will they go unspoken and unthought of, um, but I think sometimes Jesus surprises us with exactly how he feels about our expectations, and I think we'll see that um, this morning. So let's begin again by turning to our scriptures. If you would open with me to Acts chapter 2. This is a very... Uh, well, at least I find it to be a very famous and kind of popular um, little bit of scripture that has to do with community. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Um, I'll just read it for us, then we'll continue. Beginning in verse 42, Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, tending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you probably heard some of our answers to that question right here in Acts chapter 42 or in, in Acts chapter 2. Is GC a Bible study? Is it a time and a place where we get together to do spiritual kinds of things? Yes, it is. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Is GC um, a place of like spiritual renewal, a place of healing and deep soul transformation, where we come to know ourselves, our strengths, and our weaknesses with greater clarity. Yes, it's where God moves. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done. Is gospel community a group of close, perhaps lifelong friends who do life together, who serve one another, spend regular time together, Yes, it is, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Is gospel community a group of people who serve their neighborhood through acts of justice or generosity and charity? Perhaps, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Is gospel community a weekly meal 
Is it about consistency, regularity, intentionality? Perhaps. It's perhaps uh, meeting in ordinary ways. Is it just an ordinary thing that we do in the course of our life? Yes, and day by day, tending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And lastly, is gospel community a group of people on mission? A sent people to join God in seeking and saving the lost. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So maybe this doesn't surprise you, but it surprises me because, in fact, our idea about what community should be and what it's ought to look like is pretty spot on. If you think about the answers that we each gave, the things that we said, um, even, you know, as we kind of got towards the end when we kind of had to fill in some of the gaps about the very first things that come to mind for us, it was, it was all kind of there. We are, we're not ignorant about what God has for us and what his vision is for our community. But as we continue, what I hope to draw our attention to is the subtle ways, and I've already said this a few times, is that instead of placing Jesus at the center of our life together, we place one of these ideas, one of these goals, these objectives, these tasks these ideals and expectations at the center. And we lose sight of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, or chapter four, is the purpose of Christian community. To attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As Bonhoeffer warned us earlier, we inevitably miss out on the very thing that we're after when we lose sight of Jesus and the abundant life that he offers. But if Jesus is the center, if everything else revolves around Jesus, then how does, as the, the bad clip art that Jeremy showed us, if Jesus, life in him is the middle, then how does that change how we think about things like gospel community, DNA groups, spiritual friendships, things of that nature? So ask yourself, what expectations are you bringing gospel community? Are they idealistic or realistic? Are they theoretical or are they practical? Are they cultural or are they biblical? Are they Jesus's expectation or yours? So I said I'm going to try to be extremely practical um, today, so I'm going to basically just, for the remainder of our time, we're just going to walk back through each one of those kind of subheadings that we pulled out of Acts chapter 2 and kind of just hold them up and look at how we might approach gospel community a bit differently if we look at it through the lens of Jesus as the organizing principle, as that which not only governs and guides, but that which empowers the very things that we do together as gospel communities. How might we approach gospel community differently with this understanding? So first, is gospel community a Bible study and a time to get together and do spiritual stuff? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Um, maybe you've had this experience. Have you ever been at a gospel community meeting or in maybe in a previous church, it was a home group or whatever, the, whatever you might call it. Um, but you've been sitting there and you've, you've started to tap your foot and realize, when are we going to get to the the Bible study? When are we going to start the, the, the prayers? When are we going to do the spiritual thing like this? Hanging out and just eating is, what, what are we here for if we're not here 
to do the, the Christian stuff. Like, why are we wasting our time just hanging out and just talking to each other? Some of us, and I, this is me um, I'm speaking to, uh, I think we fall into this uh, kind of hidden trap where we feel like unless we are engaged in explicit Christian practice, then we are wasting our time as a gospel community. Now, it's, of course, very likely that as a gospel community, you will open your Bible together, that you will pray together, that you will do spiritual stuff. And in fact, you should probably be worried if you never do any of those things. But as Acts 2 shows us, there is more to life as a community um, than just this, as the rest of the verses will tell us. And besides, and this, is, this may uh, chafe a bit, but the reality is if you're so discontent and desperate and unsatisfied for spiritual activity that you blame your GC for not doing it enough, chances are you're probably not doing it enough. So, moving along, verse 43. In his gospel community, a place of spiritual renewal and healing. Is it a place where we see, as the verse tells us, we see signs and wonders and awe comes upon every soul and where we experience, um, you know, I'm taking a bit of, um, I'm reading a bit beyond this verse, but where we see profound and personal spiritual transformation. Um, on one hand, I don't know that this is a, as much of a, a hang-up for us as a church. Um, but I do think sometimes, if we're honest, um, whether we'd ever say this out loud or not, we do wonder if we're doing it right, if we don't see more miraculous stuff. Like, we, we think to ourselves, you know, we've been meeting as a GC for X amount of time, and, you know, I just haven't, I don't, I haven't seen enough, like, manifestations of, like, God's miraculous power. Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Of course, God is still in the business of miracles. But we should remember, as a later verse will tell us, gospel community is still very ordinary. Every time we read of miraculous happenings in our scriptures or read about them in books or are told, told about them from a friend, um, we, we should remember that for each one of those miraculous events, there was likely days, weeks, months, and sometimes years of ordinary, mundane, everyday life lived just as regular people doing regular things. Um, for the sake of time, yeah, we got time. Uh, another thing, um, and I even just thought about this just the other day, um, about a month ago, I was thinking to myself, this is another kind of trap I feel like maybe we fall into sometimes and we don't even realize it. So I was like, you know what we need to do for RGC? Um, we need to do a spiritual gift assessment. We need to, we need to you know, take everybody in RGC and we need to just figure out what their spiritual giftings are and um, then you know, we can just know what everybody's roles are and then we'll all come together and this thing will happen and it'll be really, it'll, it'll be really great. I don't know if, if that's an experience you've ever had. Um, but unfortunately, when we think about GC as this place where we demonstrate our um, spiritual gifts, if it's only about using our spiritual gifts, rather, um, ultimately we turn into GC as a place to perform. We lose sight um, of this life that we live in Jesus, um, where it's his life, his grace, on our behalf. Or, and this one probably lands closest to home for us as a gospel community, or as a church, <clears throat> um, we see gospel community, as Maria so shared with us earlier, we see gospel community as a place for deep, profound, very intimate relationship. 
And that's, I mean, again, that's true. We're not saying it's not. But I think sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing the levels of relationship that are available to us. And we forget that there is a difference between the kinds of relationships we will have at the gospel community level and the kinds of relationships we will have at a different level with perhaps a DNA group, but with a smaller group of other people that we're going to walk alongside in a different way from the way that we walk alongside our larger gospel community. I mean, there's just practical limits. And we'll talk a lot more about this next week, actually, um, but there are just real limits to the amount of intimacy and vulnerability that you can have with a group of 10 to 12 people, with kids running around, with practical considerations about space and time and all of the things that go into a larger gospel community group. Um, you need deeper levels of intimacy. It's not to say that you don't need that. It's very important, in fact. It's just that gospel community may not always be the place to have that kind of relationship and need met. <clears throat> Again, um, if you're unsatisfied and you're desperate and longing for that kind of intimate relationship, GC is just not really the level of relationship. There's, there's one further down from that. Again, um, Dan will talk a lot more about this next week, but these people don't have to be in your gospel community even. Maybe it helps if they are, but the reality is for those deeper, more intimate um, relationships, uh, there's another layer of intimacy. Um, and anyways, I don't want to belabor the point. We will talk at length about that next week, so um, just kind of keep that in mind. So moving along, verse 44. Is gospel community a group of close, perhaps lifelong, best friends who do life together and serve one another and spend all their time together and do everything together? Um, again, I'm, I'm you know, using a bit of hyperbole here to get the point across, but I think some of us actually think this is what life together in a gospel community, in a home group, in a GC um, is meant to be like. We get in our heads that um, these people that I'm going to do life with and be uh, do Christian stuff with and uh, you know, experience all that Jesus has to offer. These people are going to be my friends forever. They are going to be my best friends forever. We are going to do everything together. We're going to spend all of our time together. Um, and I think this, whether we would ever say it, is the one, at least um, if I can speak candidly, at least in our GC historically, this has been one of those things that has tripped us up the most because then we get offended, we get hurt when we don't do everything together, when we don't feel like we spend enough time together, and then we wonder, are we, are we doing this right? Of course, it's great and it's good to be close with your gospel community. And hopefully over time, with some patience and just sheer quantity of time spent together, you will inevitably grow extremely close to the people that are in your gospel community. But when we put this at the center and make it the thing that gospel community is meant to provide, a few problems arise. And you may have noticed this in your own life, but again, today is about reminder and encouragement. I don't know how much encouragement's happened so far, but at least trying to just remind you about some things. So the first problem that comes when we make the group the main point or the main thing um, and that the people and the relationships within the group as the most important thing, is that it's immediately frustrated. You may have noticed this thing that happens um, as you get a little bit older. 
and you know, you're no longer in college per se, you no longer work a part-time job necessarily, and your sphere of influence and responsibility and obligations just seems to ever expand. You either have kids, you have more responsibility at your job, whatever the case may be, um, all sorts of things begin to need and require your time and your energy. So you may have noticed that as you get older, it becomes increasingly more difficult to develop these kinds of friendships with a large group of people. Again, next week we'll talk about, yes, you can still develop these kinds of relationships, probably just with fewer people, and that's okay. Um, but when we think that our entire gospel community is going to be one of these categories of friends, um, it, it, it becomes problematic. Besides, when we imagine GCE relationships um, as these kind of lifelong, best friends forever kind of relationships, um, we actually start excluding a whole lot of people from our life together as a gospel community. You may have noticed this. Dallas is a very transient city. There are lots of people that will come to Christ City Church or will come to Dallas, and they will only be here for a season. How many of you have ever had this happen where someone comes to your gospel community, they're there for a couple of years, they move away. They were only ever going to be here for a couple of years. You knew that the whole time. But then when they move away, you feel a wound. And that wound is good. That wound means you loved that person. You were close to that person. But it winces and you think to yourself, I do not want to do this again. I am tired of putting myself out there for people that move away for whatever reason. Sometimes for good reason. Sometimes for maybe not so good reason. Who knows? But have you ever had that thought? Have ever had that experience? That's because the expectation you had was that they would be here forever. And when that expectation is frustrated, it hurts. And we, as Bonhoeffer said, we call it the whole thing a failure. But what if we instead saw this as a gift, as a blessing? Sometimes the season that someone spends in our gospel communities and in Dallas no matter how short of a time it might be, might just be the season and the experience that God uses to save that person, to redeem that person, to heal some deep and profound existential wound. I mean, that, that's my story. The people that I first, when I first came to faith, got saved, entered into a community. I'm no longer in community with a single one of those, person, of those people. But God used that time. I mean, literally used that time to save me. <clears throat> a second problem arises, and this gets back to what Dana said for us earlier in the beginning. Uh, the problem with trying to make it to be all about the group and the affinity and our relationship with one another and how well we get along and how close we are is that uh, you know your gospel community probably should include some people that aren't like you, that maybe you wouldn't necessarily be lifelong best friends with. And I know this really chafes against our kind of like consumeristic, uh, individualistic mindset about, well, why would I want to be friends with somebody uh, that's not like me and doesn't, um, you know, kind of fill my cup, as it were. Um, but as, as Dana said, um, our gospel communities, being not like each other isn't a bug, it's a feature. I mean, our diversity in our gospel communities is actually by design. <clears throat> when, when our life together centers on Jesus, then we'll find ourselves in community with people who are radically different than us. Um, we won't share the same political views. We won't 
raise our families necessarily the same way. I mean, uh, I, don't even, I don't even think Chris and Laura and Amber and I could watch TV together. Like, we, we, we're so different in that way. Um, but I love them. They're my friends. They, they sharpen me. They make me better. They, they call me into something, into a more full and abundant way of living with Jesus. We don't see eye to eye on everything. Um, and, and like I said, that's the way it ought to be. <clears throat> um, yeah, moving along. How much time we got? Okay. Um, another thing we could say about this kind of diversity within our GCs, about how various differing people come together, it's extremely countercultural. I mean, you're going to talk about being a witness and being on mission before... Uh, a, a watching world that is increasingly more divided and more polarized and more at odds with each other than ever before, perhaps. Um, yeah, it's quite a testimony to see a group of people who don't agree on everything, who aren't politically aligned, who have learned to listen and compromise and hear from other people and walk alongside people to learn and to become like Jesus, compassionate and kind and long-suffering in the midst of brokenness and difference. And difficulty. And then the last problem with this idea of making the group the main thing and our friendships within it and our closeness and our intimacy within it. Um, and again, nobody would ever say this. We would never voice this explicitly. But one of the problems, as it turns out, is we actually close ourselves off to anybody that's not already in the group, who's not already intimately connected to us. We run the risk of becoming so insular that we... Um, we're not able to um, offer and open up the abundant life that Jesus has to offer. Um, yeah, we, we make it uh, just kind of a social thing, an affinity group, time together with friends. We make it kind of all about us and our tribe. And instead of Jesus being the center um, and having all of our life together revolve around him, we subtly shift the focus and the group becomes the point. Um, and it's self-defeating. Um, Gospel community is never the end. It's only a means um, to an end. Okay, moving along. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any <clears throat> had need. Um, so is a gospel community a group of those who serve and who commit acts of, of charity and generosity and, and works of social justice in their city? Um, yeah, I, I would say at least... Our scriptures seem to say that, yes, this is somehow a part of our life together as a Christian community. Um, I'm not going to imply that you shouldn't give generously. I'm not going to imply that you shouldn't serve those in need. I think if we're honest, um, it's actually pretty rare that this becomes a problem for a community. Um, it's not something that happens often. But I will say that I, I do think sometimes some of us feel discouraged because we don't feel like we do enough. We've got ideas in our mind about what our gospel community should be doing. We need to engage our city more. We need to be helping the least of these more. We're not generous enough. And perhaps we should. Um, but the problem or, or the difficulty shows up when our ideal and our expectations about what gospel community gets in the way of what we're actually after. And the likelihood that everyone in our gospel community is going to have the same vision the likelihood that our entire gospel community, if we are as diverse as the last verse told us we ought to be, if we are as different 
if the reality of our life together is that we're not a homogenous group, but we are radically different, chances are we will all have different ideas about where we should be serving and who we should be giving to anyway. This doesn't mean that your GC will never participate in things together. Our GCs served the homeless um, at various times together throughout our time. I know that other GCs have done similar um, charitable and service type projects. <clears throat> but it does mean um, that it's very difficult to organize a group of people around a single cause for any length of time. And besides, life in Jesus, if he's the center and all of life goes, revolves around him, generosity and charity is inevitable anyways. And there are plenty of nonprofits and organizations in this city right now who would love your time, your energy, your service, and your money. So, moving on. This is our last verse. Um, no, it's not. We got two more verses. So sorry. Um, and I told you it was just going to kind of be like bullet. I don't feel like there's, uh, I feel like we're just kind of going through it in a, in a numbered list, but that's okay. We're almost done. Um, verse 46 is gospel community a weekly meal? Is it about consistency, regularity, intentionality? Is it about meeting together um, frequent and often? Sure. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So just as um, verse 43 said, yes, we should expect God to work extraordinarily in our life, in our midst, verse 46 tells us that it will also be very ordinary, the things in the life that we live together. Um, but where this becomes a, somewhat of a problem, have you ever had that uneasy feeling? And again, I'm just speaking to myself, but have you ever had that uneasy feeling where you didn't meet as a gospel community that week, or you didn't meet as a gospel community for a while, or whatever the case may have been? There was no intentional, like, clear event for the gospel community to do together. You kind of get that uneasy feeling of like, well, what are we, what are we doing? We're not meeting this week? That's weird. What do you mean we're not waiting? Like, what else are we supposed to do? Um, that's a sign that maybe it's kind of beginning to occupy a weird place. We kind of fall into this, this lull where it's just autopilot, and we think to ourselves, as long as we're meeting, as long as we're sharing a meal every week together, you know, we may not be maturing into Jesus. We may not be having intentional conversations. We may not... Um, be calling each other to account for the things we've said we want and that we believe and we think are important, but we ate together, so it's okay. That's the first half of this um, expectation kind of gone awry, but the other half is one that maybe we fall into sometimes, I don't know, but um, we sometimes act as if the regularity and the intentionality and the um, ordinariness of gospel community means that it will just happen by accident, that like, we don't actually have to be intentional about this. We forget that gospel community requires a certain level of commitment and consistency. It's on purpose. You choose this. So the ordinariness of it makes us think that it just happens. And then when it doesn't, because we haven't committed, we haven't been consistent, we haven't put any intentionality into it, we be, grow disappointed, we feel disconnected, and then, as Bonhoeffer tells us, we call the whole thing a failure. Well, we can't have it both ways. Either we have to take responsibility for creating space for community meals and for intentional time set aside to be together and being regular um, in the presence of one another. <clears throat> but it doesn't work if we don't spend time together. But it's not only 
spending time together. So as we kind of come to the last of our six verses here, verse 47 is gospel community, a group of people on mission sent to reach their neighbors, sent to be a city on a hill, um, a light to the nations. Yes, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as Kyler even mentioned for us earlier, for a while now, mission has been a buzzword. Um, it's been very popular, um, very in vogue, uh, probably about 15 years ago. I don't know, y'all, many of y'all have been in the church longer than I have. I don't know when this exactly started, but I would say about 15 years ago, suddenly tons of churches started reorganizing themselves and going, well, we don't have small groups anymore. We don't have um, community groups anymore. Now we have missional communities. <clears throat> Here again, nobody is suggesting that we're not sent to our city, that we're not a witness, that we're not a part of the gospel story, that we're not in on the action with, with God as he seeks and saves the lost. Nobody's saying that we're not those things. But you may have begun um, to notice a pattern this morning. Jesus is the goal. He is the center. He is the beginning and the end the author and the perfecter of our life together. All of our life is lived in him. Gospel community is meant to draw us into the flow of his life. It is one of the ways, albeit perhaps a primary way, that we find ourselves caught up in this gospel story, which means we can certainly expect to see lost people come to know Jesus. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church, much of this we talked about last week with, um, with Jeremy, but Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Oh, I guess we didn't have a verse for that. We didn't have a slide for that? Huh. Nope. Okay. There it is. Okay. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are ambassadors for Christ. Notice that. If anyone is in Christ... We are ambassadors for Christ. It's not just something we do, it's who we are. So, gospel community certainly will be a missional, have a missional aspect to it. So, having gone through these six verses and having arrived at the end of, cha of Acts chapter 4, you're probably thinking, wow, Chaz, thank you for such an encouraging morning as you've completely criticized and critiqued all of the things that I find most valuable, most life-giving about gospel community, about life together. This has, this has been very encouraging. I'm sure you're thinking that. And I want to say the point is not to critique or criticize. The point is to draw your attention to the tension. To draw your attention to the tension of gospel community life. The tension, the middle place, between our ideals and our expectations about what gospel community is and about the messy reality of how it actually looks in real life. The point um, is not to draw into question all of the things that we talked about this morning or to suggest that they aren't important. The point is to shed some light on the ways in which these things become the main thing and cause us to lose sight of Jesus. And besides, just kind of as a quick um, ending sort of kind of thing, I don't think I'm being cynical. I don't think I'm doing anything that the Bible itself doesn't do, actually. Um, so real quick, we'll turn over to Acts chapter 4. And if you don't believe me, like I said, I don't think I'm being cynical. I think I'm being biblical whenever I offer this kind of 
critical uh, reading of Acts chapter 2. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but um, this begins in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So very similar to Acts chapter 2. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with the great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This just sounds lovely. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Talk about an ideal situation. Everybody just loves everybody. It's in common with each other. We're all selling our stuff like the rich young ruler, giving it all away. It's just great. But then just turn one page over, Acts chapter 5, the very next story. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And if you know the story, you know what happens next. I won't continue to scare everyone, but I mean... The Bible is more realistic about our life together as a gospel community than we even are. And I think that's the kind of next big surprise, the next big reveal, if you will, about how Jesus thinks about our life together in him, is that he is both more idealistic, his vision is more grand and higher than anything we might think or imagine up, but he is also intimately acquainted with the realities of life. That on the Bible's own telling, we have this idea and sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we thought it should or it would. All of life is lived in and through and with Jesus. And if this is the case, all our expectations will shift. Rather than seeing GC as the place where we live out our Christian life, we will see that our life, all of it is the place where we live out our life together. Is all of our life is where we fall in with the invitation from Acts chapter two, the invitation to follow Jesus. If we live our whole life, all of it in and through and with Jesus out of the abundance and fullness of the life that he gives us, all of these characteristics will begin to manifest in our lives and in our lives of our, in the lives of our communities. We will do spiritual stuff. We will see radical transformation. We will serve and give generously. We will grow close and develop deep and intimate relationships, find stability and regularity and intentionality in our relationships with one another. And we will wake up every day into the reality that God is still in the business of seeking and saving the lost, and he has invited us to join him. I think I'll just close because we're running out of time with this quote from Ronald Rollheiser. Um, He says it this way, if gospel community is not to take its foundation in like-mindedness or a shared fear, some shared need for intimacy in our lives, or a common roof or a common ethnicity or a common denomination or a shared mission, on what basis does it find 
or found itself. On gathering around the person of Christ and sharing his spirit. And then he, ends, he, he gives us this question. What does it mean to gather around the person of Christ? We were going to make time for uh, another time for discussion this morning, but we've run out of time. I've went a little longer than I expected to. Um, but I would say let's just leave it with that question. If you want to go back, yeah, Stephen. Maybe that's, a, that's the question maybe we can answer in our GCs. That's the question we can answer for ourselves, for our families. What does it mean to gather around the person of Christ? What does that practically speaking look like for us? So yeah, I'm going to invite you to stand and grab your communion elements. Invite Kyler back up. <clears throat> oh, haha. <laughs> You may have wondered um, what the psalm that Allison read for us at the beginning had to do with any of this. You remember how good it is for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. It is like anointing oil flowing down Aaron's beard and onto his priestly robes. It's kind of this weird image, right? You may have wondered, what, what, what does that have to do with anything that you've said, Chaz? Well, um, it is a strange image. And in the Bible, you probably know this, anointing oil um, typically symbolizes the Spirit of God, represents the power of God, it represents being set apart, it represents being consecrated, sanctified, called out. In other words, anointing oil typically just means the presence of God. The presence of the Lord, the power of His Spirit, the life of Jesus. Jesus, just a few nights before he was led to a cross to be crucified, before his body was broken, <laughs> before his blood was poured out and spilled for us. There's several accounts of this story, but John tells it as if it happens the week before Jesus died, before he was crucified. He was anointed with oil. <clears throat> what does this mean for us? It means that Jesus is with us. He shares and he gives to us his anointing. All of our life is lived together in him. So actually, Psalm 33 turns out to be the perfect image for gospel community. A community of Jesus followers, a priesthood of believers, a priesthood of believers, which means all of us are in on this, which means all of us take part and participate. We don't outsource our spiritual walk to a pastor, or a leader, or a spiritual guru, we abide, each one of us, in Jesus. We who understand Jesus' life, his presence, as the most important thing. As the psalm tells us, a group of people so drenched in the life of Jesus that we can no longer understand our collective identity as a family, as friends, as a gospel community, apart from Jesus. So let's take all our ideals, all our expectations, about our life together as gospel community and hear these words of Jesus and then receive his life, his body broken and his blood poured out. This comes from John chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit 
and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Father, we thank you for the gift of community. Thank you that the body of Christ is given to us, that we are members one of another, that it is Jesus who holds us together, that it is Jesus' life that centers us, guards us, guides us, and empowers us. We love you, and as we're about to sing, we do. We long to abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.